Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, I'm excited to welcome back Scott and Karen Duvall. Scott and Karen are, of course, Gold Loopers, and they are the owners of Capable Cruising, which is an AGLCA sponsor. And today, the topic is cruising to the Dry Tortugas, uh, which is a great place to visit that most loopers, for whatever reason, don't get to. And Scott and Karen did visit there last year. So we're going to talk with them about what you need to know before you head out to the Dry Tortugas, because it is a very remote area. Before we jump into the conversation, I do want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Beneteau, Curtis Stokes & Associates, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And welcome back, Karen and Scott. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing great, Kim. Great. Thank you for having us. Oh, we're excited to have you, and I wish we were in Fort Myers where you are right now, but things aren't too bad here in Charleston. At least we're all escaping a little bit of uh, the remnants of of Zeta right now. But the Dry Tortugas is something that, you know, it's, I think, almost a little bit mysterious to to loopers because so few actually take the trip there. Um, and, of course, there's an article on the Dry Tortugas in this month's Marina Life magazine, and Marina Life is also a sponsor. And that got me thinking again to doing an episode of the podcast about the Dry Tortugas, and I immediately remembered that the two of you cruised there last year. So let's, uh, first of all, as I said, the Dry Tortugas are known as the most remote U.S. national park. So talk to a, us a little bit about, you know, how far is it really from Florida, from the Keys, and is, is Key West where everyone starts from? Uh, pretty common for people to start from Key West because it's 70 miles uh, west of Key West. Um, so probably typically the place people uh, start from. We, we ended up leaving from Marco Island, which was uh, 125 miles for us down um, You know, some people might think to go down to Shark River and then cut over, but you don't gain anything going down there just because of, of where it is. Uh, neat little little fact, um, Dry Tortugas is in the central time zone, which is kind of unusual. That is However, your I didn't know that. Phones don't, yeah, your phones don't really work there anyway, so I don't think it matters. <laughs> it really so who cares matter. what time it is? <laughs> um, but so that so you um, keep your boat primarily in Fort Myers, so going from Marco Island makes sense. But at 125 miles for some loopers, that makes for a pretty long day. Um, and 70 miles for some loopers actually is a pretty long day as well, depending on their, their cruising speed. Um, and of course, this is kind of an open crossing, so weather considerations will be big. Is there really a best season to go? Um, usually uh, early... Early spring and springtime, the weather's settled down. Unfortunately, that's when loopers are thinking about heading up the East Coast. Um, but there, there are, uh, you know, calmer periods uh, even during the winter. You just really have to watch your weather. It's a lot like doing uh, a crossing, one of the crossings, if you will, crossing uh, Lake Michigan or uh, even the Gulf Crossing. Uh, you just have to have make sure you have more days uh, of nice weather for both getting there and coming back and uh, for anchoring out there. Mm-hmm. 
And also there's, um, we mentioned there's no cell service out there at all. So um, you have to really watch your weather ahead of time, but then... Um, there's a, a ferry that comes to uh, Dry Tortugas uh, to the state park, and uh, we've heard um, that you can uh, actually go on board or just talk to the captain and get updated weather uh, while you're out there. Uh, there's no radio, there's no cell service, there's no Wi-Fi unless you have satellite. So uh, that's that's kind of the big concern, and that's what um, we with us, we went there and we only stayed a couple of days because we didn't have uh, the ability to update our weather. Because we went during COVID when everything was shut down there. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't go, we couldn't go ashore, but we did all the snorkel, all the water stuff and still had a blast. Yeah. So, so I'm, t- I'm kind of thinking back to leaving for Marco Island with it being 125 miles. Um, you know, if you're in a slower cruising trawler, um, that may be a lot for a, a daylight crossing. Um, I'm assuming there's really no place to stop midway. Um, and is that why more folks tend to work their way down to Key West and, you know, take a break there and then continue out to dry tortugas? Right. That shortens that distance. And then, uh, and then you're also, because of the shorter travel distance, you're going to have more fuel once you get there for a return trip, mm-hmm. um, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, you can watch your weather window and, uh, uh, right down there at uh, Key West mm-hmm. and then uh, make a quick run out there for a few days. And, and so you mentioned that the best weather is typically May through August, which you're right, doesn't fit well with the time that most loopers are in the, the southern part of the route. Um, but you have seen, as you said, some weather windows you could possibly take advantage of if you're hanging out in Florida for right. the winter. Okay. Right. If, if we if we were going to spend a month down in the Keys, a month or two down there, um, that's something we we probably watch for is a, a good uh, weather week to get over there and back. Okay. And once you arrive, um, because it is a national park, so you need to check in, correct? And, and tell us what that's like. Um, yeah. You you take your dinghy um, into the there's a main pier there, and they do have like a little dinghy dock or a little mooring area. Um, on the left side of the main dock, and you go up to the office then, and you do check in. You do need, each person needs to pay a $15 entrance fee, um, and that is good for seven consecutive days. So it's not good for if you go there and come back. Um, they only take cash and a check because there's no, no facilities to run a credit card, no electronics to run a credit card. Um, but in addition to your personal things, you need to register your vessels. Um, and I say vessels because you need to register both your big boat and your dinghy or if you have a kayak, things like that. There is no charge to register them, but they do want them registered and um, they do have boats going around checking registration. I don't know if there's a if there is a fee for or like a um a ticket if you don't but they do want all the boats registered yeah and i i'd I call it a permit more than yes it's a permit it's a permit sorry not registration we don't want to confuse that with like oh good lord no (laughs) (laughs) we don't want to open that can of worms at all no (laughs) so you get your permit and then you're good to go um, so, of course, you know, there is no marina at the Dry Tortugas, so you have to be prepared to anchor out. Um, yep. Are there ample anchorages? Uh, 
and are they well protected? You know, is anchoring there typically going to be a good experience or is that going to be a sleepless night while you worry about whether you're holding and whether you're, you're well protected and that kind of thing? Well, let's talk first about is there any anchorage? Um, yes, I would say there's, there's quite a bit of uh, room for anchorage. There's the um, probably most popular and most protected is um, right off of the pier there at um, at the fort. Um, is is on active captain. It's marked. It's marked as the Dry Tortugas. Very very original name there. Um, <laughs> but it's not very big, and there are some shallow areas, and you do need to be careful. Then there's another area that is um, it's labeled as Fort Jefferson West, and that's just on the west side of the fort there and kind of a narrower area along the edge of the channel coming in. But then there's Bird Key. Um, there's Bird Key and Bird Key East. Um, there is no visible key when you go to this anchorage, but you do need to watch where you're on your charts where you're going because that key is kind of um, underwater. But it is a large anchorage, and many, many boats can fit in there. Um and as far as protection, the one that's right by the Dry Tortugas is probably the best protected because it does have some a closer key, a little closer to the land. Um, but there is a reef that doesn't, it doesn't, you don't see it, but there is a reef and it's three to four feet of water um, that's all along the southern, eastern, southeast side of that that breaks up some of the waves coming in from the south and southeast. So that does help with with the anchorage. Um, but if it's really blown, I think you're going to feel it, mm-hmm. no, no matter where you are. That, that reef is, is a, a fair distance from the, the anchorage, uh, but most of your protection is uh, from the east, northeast, southeast. Uh, there, there is an anchorage on the east side if you think you're going to tuck in around there if the winds come out of the west, uh, but it's very small and very deep, so you have to use some uh, uh, a little different anchoring techniques to be in there. Okay, and we've talked a little bit about you know the remoteness that there are no there's no cell service there's no marina there, um, so you're really kind of on your own in the dry tortugas. So, you know, what did you do to make sure you were well prepared? excuse me, well-prepared, well-provisioned, you know, how did you get yourselves ready to kind of be on your own? Um, well, making sure, of course, we, we we try to go out and anchor for many days in a row anyways. That's just kind of our thing. Um, so just making sure, again, yeah, provision for extra days. Uh, we did bring some extra drinking water uh, that we just had stored away uh, besides what we carry in our tanks. Um you know, weather, you know, that's the big thing is watching the weather. Um, the fuel uh, for us, because of that long run, was a little bit of an issue. Um, we did fine um, with our boat getting down there from Marco Island and back. We did fuel up right before we left. But we also did not run up on planes. Um, we kind of went trawler speed for for that reason, because of fuel economy. Right. Mm-hmm. And. Yeah, the other thing we we had going for us when we went, which I believe was in May, late May June, I yeah, think, May or May or like June, um, was uh, you know the longer days. Right. So you know, sunset, you know, eight or later. So 
that's one of the issues in the winter, especially with daylight savings time coming up. Yeah. <laughs> we don't like it. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, so so we've we've talked about the remoteness repeatedly now. Um, you know, it is it is a an op- open water crossing. Um, as you said, it you know you need to make sure that you have enough fuel, enough food, weather, all those kinds of things. Um, Scott and Karen, you anchor out all the time anyway, and you like to go anchor for several days at a time. So that part wasn't unique or different to you. But my question is really kind of related to other loopers who that might not be their normal style of cruising. How much cruising experience would you say that someone really needs to be prepared to tackle the dry tortugas? Well, if if they've done uh, any of the larger water crossings, it's, there's really no difference there. Um, but being confident in, uh, in your equipment and your anchoring capabilities, um, I would make sure I'd been out and anchored a, uh, at least for a couple of days in a row. Uh, you know, you, you want to understand your boat and its power needs and, you know, things like that before you go out there because out there, I mean, there's no other option. Right. <laughs> so Can't I, just jump into a marina out there. Right, right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just, just being confident and comfortable with your, your ground tackle and, uh, you know, you have some experience doing it. And uh, so... You have an enjoyable trip out there. Mm -hmm. And also just making sure that you understand um, realistically how long does your water last, your tankage last, those types of things, if you were to potentially get blown in. Um, So you you have an idea what your boat, your um, provisions that you have on board, um, how long it's going to last you. Right. Okay, I think this is a good place to... Oh, I'm sorry, did you have something to add to that, Scott? I was going to say, we, we did hear uh, a few years ago of uh, uh, a group that was out there, um, and they got stuck out there because of the winds. And I, I think they uh, some of the boaters would take the ferry back to uh, Key West and get some provisions and come back. And then one of the uh, boats that was out there had a water maker and was making water for all the other boats would come in and set something up. It's kind of a unique thing. That is unique, but it is actually a little bit unusual um, and unique, but actually kind of comforting to hear that the ferry did still run in somewhat adverse conditions. So there was kind of that link back to the mainland or at least to the Keys, so to speak. Right, right. All right, um, let's take a quick break and play a message from one of our sponsors. When we come back, you know, we've talked a little bit about um, the practicalities of, of going to the dry tortugas. We haven't really talked about why boaters would want to do this. And I think there's a lot of reasons why that, that Scott and Karen can very well explain to us. So when we come back, we'll jump into what there is to see there and do and why you would want to, to do it. So we'll be back in a moment. Green Turtle Bay Marina and Resort has consistently been voted a must-stop by loopers. It has earned the coveted five-anchor designation from Quimby's Cruising Guide. This full-service marina features over 450 slips. They are located at mile marker 31.5 on the scenic Cumberland River. Green Turtle Bay is a proud commander sponsor of AGLCA, so join them and find your waterway of life. 
We're back on Great Loop Radio. My guests today are Scott and Karen Duvall of Capable Cruising. And uh, Scott and Karen are, of course, Gold Loopers. But Scott and Karen, we kind of, we've mentioned that you're sponsors of AGLCA now under Capable Cruising. Just tell us in a nutshell what Capable Cruising is and why you started it. Well, um, why did we start it? <laughs> um, you know, we Scott was in the Coast Guard and um, and really is a pretty incredible guy behind the helm. He won't ever admit that, but um, <laughs> he is. Anyways, and we really enjoyed our our trip on the Gold Loop so much that we really wanted it to be as enjoyable for other people as it was for us, and we thought. Maybe by helping others being comfortable with their boats and their um, just the whole process and the training of it, that we could maybe make their trip equally as enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And then with our, our taste of the loop, just for people that are in the planning stages and aren't sure this is a lifestyle they um, might like to do, um, a, a bird told us that was one of the uh, most frequently asked questions if anybody offered a service like that. So we did uh, uh, do our taste of the loop cruises. Yeah, and that's become quite popular. And, and uh, Karen and Scott take their boat out from Fort Myers, at least for the time being. That's a nice thing about a boat is you can locate it anywhere. But <laughs> for now, it's in Fort Myers. Um, and the taste of the loop cruise brings couples out for a few days at a time. We should do um, a minimum of four days. Um, and we've done as many as seven with a couple. So um, quite often we have people add an additional day to that four-day um, because there is a lock within a, a you know quick trip up the river to be able to do the lock. So so usually four or five days is the average. Mm-hmm. Well, great. And, and it is a, a needed service. Um, there's not a whole lot of ways for people to really try out the lifestyle without having the boating experience yet or the boat. I mean, you can charter a boat, of course, but you do need to know how to operate the boat to do that. So we've got a lot of new boaters who have been excited about the opportunity to try things out before they really kind of dive in and and, and buy that boat or get some education and take some classes. So from taste of the loop to training to um, delivery captains, and you're both also Coast Guard captains now, correct? That we are. Yes. All right. So in... As you said, during COVID, you tr- cruised to the Dry Tortugas because that's a great thing to do during COVID. So uh, we've talked a little bit about, <laughs> about you know, how thing. you do it. <laughs> um, but for those who, you know, haven't Googled Dry Tortugas or aren't familiar with this national park, tell us what the Dry Tortugas are. Well, um, the Dry Tortugas, is it's a group of, like, Seven, if you read on this website, it says there's seven different keys, um, and but there's really only two that are visitable. Is that a word? Visitable. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that you're going to visit. And um, the main key is called Garden Key, and that has um, Fort Jefferson on it. It's a very large fort, um, and there's a lot of um, bird life, a lot of different kinds of birds and um, on the, on that key as well. The history of the uh, Fort Jefferson, unfortunately, it was closed when we were there. In fact, it was quite interesting um, that they were flying the quarantine flag, the yellow flag above the um, fort when we were there. And we 
we had to ask ourselves, I wonder when the last time was that they ever flew the quarantine flag over that fort. So that was an interesting little thing. Yeah, that is interesting. so we didn't get to get the, the the pure history of it, but we do have some information about it. And then um, about three miles east, uh, or excuse me, west of there is Loggerhead Key. And that key has um, a lighthouse on it, and it's got the um, housing and things like that. Um, and there's some reefs over there that are, are definitely worthy to go snorkeling on. Um, and it's an easy dinghy ride over there. And there's um, small mooring ball, or there's mooring balls over there, but all the mooring balls are have a two-hour limit, so you cannot stay there very long. Um, and there is also a um, dinghy landing area. There's a pier there, but that pier was is primarily for um, people to bring in provisions. They do not want anyone tying up to that pier at all, but just... Um, on the other side of that pier, they allow you to to pull your dinghy up, and then you can you can walk all over the island. Um, as far as we know, um, because again, things were closed at COVID, we don't know. But I think that you can. Um, we're not sure if you can get in any of the buildings, so that's something we'd have to research further and what's available. But there is a lot of snorkeling over there, um, and so. Yeah, um, speaking of snorkeling, uh, that's what we did uh, probably almost two full days while we were there. Uh, there's the, on the west side of that loggerhead island, uh, adjacent to an old boathouse that was falling in the water when we were there, uh, there's an area marked off uh, reef. And uh, you're, you're not allowed to take your dinghy in there, but you can you can anchor your dinghy in the sandy areas outside of that area and there's quite a bit to see there um that is called i'm trying to remember little africa little africa um the snorkeling around fort jefferson itself around the moat which is on the west side of the fort um is was spectacular we really enjoyed that saw tons of uh uh you know coral and fish and it was very easy uh snorkeling there and then there's also uh, by the old pilings from I believe they called it the coal, call it the coal dock. Coal pier, yeah, I think they had this old dock that obviously there's no dock there. Just the pilings, and the pilings have coral on them and uh, lots of fish throughout. There was huge. I mean, I think that the reef life around the moat and on those piers was um, much healthier and more vibrant than what we saw on the reef out at Little Africa. It was a little disconcerting to me to see some of the blighted coral out there. And um, and I understand there's many reasons why that's happening all around the world. But um, that brings me to my little, um, my little thing about putting a plug in to use reef-safe sunscreens only. Sunscreens, believe it or not, have an ingredient. Have most sunscreens have ingredients in them that um, that are a problem for the reef, and it causes some of this blight that happens. So, um, if you're going to go there, I really recommend you make sure that your sunscreen says that it's reef safe on it, or better yet, you have a lycra suit and and protect yourself from the sun that way instead of from the um, chemical ways. There's also wrecks and um, places you can dive. There's a windjammer wreck. 
And on their website, they have a, a they have tell you where all the mooring balls are and all the different places that you can go snorkeling. You can dive as well, but we just snorkeled. So. Right. And there's some dive areas uh, out by some of the other keys and in that area that we didn't uh, uh, venture to. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned some mooring balls. Those are strictly for snorkeling or are those available for overnights as well? Strictly for snorkeling. Okay. And all of them are two-hour limit, period, and they enforce it. You'll see the, the wildlife uh, boats out there, and uh, they definitely enforce that. Mm-hmm. You, you, you cannot stay longer than two hours. Yeah, and talk to us a little bit about the wildlife, because you mentioned that it's abundant. What types of wildlife did you see besides the, well, of course, I, I don't mean to say besides the reef fish, like that isn't spectacular enough. <laughs> um, but, you know, besides what you saw snorkeling, what other wildlife did you see? Well, um, yeah, the snorkeling, we can't say enough about it. it. The water was extremely clear, and when we were there, very warm, um, and uh, almost couldn't get enough of it. But the birding, if you like birds, oh my goodness, there was so many birds there. And there's many of the keys are rookeries, which is where they breed, the birds are um, do their breeding, and um, or their nesting. And they, um, they are not, you're not allowed on those keys at all because they are um, protected. And so we saw just tons and tons of birds and really beautiful. We saw uh, sea turtles um, and uh, we were, we were swimming back to our boat right by the, yeah. off of the moat. Um, we were dinghy, or swimming back to our dinghy, which was anchored a, a little ways away. And a school of tarpon, um, the largest were about the size of us, uh, probably 30 tarpon uh, swam by us then turned around and swam by us again. Just mm-hmm. They probably couldn't believe what they were seeing either, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really I also, magical. Yeah, I also spoke with the, um, the people that do the ferry out there. I just wanted to clarify a few things um, with them. And they told us that recently they had been seeing some whale sharks out there. So um, I imagine there's, any, with any ocean life, there's, chance of seeing some pretty spectacular things as well. The, the Windjammer wreck, I believe uh, they, they talk about a Goliath grouper that hangs out there. And we've seen, we've heard many people have them camped out underneath their boat. They, they come for the shade of the boat and they camp out. Oh. These great big huge Goliath groupers will sit underneath your boat. So that would be a really cool thing. We kept hoping for that. Kept looking and didn't see one. <laughs> <laughs> So, and um, I'm glad you brought up the ferry again, um, because the ferry is, uh, I believe it, it comes daily, is that correct? And there's also seaplanes. Um, I don't know if those were running when you were there because of COVID, but there are other people um, on the Keys during the day. Is that correct? Yes, that that, that is correct. Uh, the ferry goes, uh, I think Karen's digging up her information on it. Uh, it is definitely an option to get out there if you're staying in the, uh, you know, Marathon or Key West and you don't want to take your own boat out there. Mm-hmm. And um, they run pretty much every day. Um, it's a two and a half hour ride out there. They arrive about 1030 and they leave the, the and they only go to the main key, Garden Key, and they leave at 245. And they arrive back around 515, 530. 
And um, they said May and August were the um, the most prevalent times or the best times to go. And just, just for a thought, um, the cost was $190. That does include lunch. They only provide a bag lunch because of COVID. And if people read on active captain stuff, they'll see that it'll have um, the people have gone there to have lunch. And it's like they're saying, no, that is not the case right now because of COVID. They can You cannot go have lunch on the ferry like they used to have. So keep that in mind. And um, they also have seaplane adventures that, that go from, uh, these are all out of the Key, uh, Key West. And the seaplane adventure is a half day um, or a full day. And again, um, they do they do a little more, of course, from the air, but they only land at Garden Key as well. And just to give you an idea on cost, the half day of the seaplane adventure was three hundred and sixty-one dollars, and a full day was three hundred or six hundred and thirty-four dollars. So um, those those were options as well. If you didn't want to take your boat. Yeah. But all those options, of course, you know, they're not going to leave you there overnight because there's no facilities. So nope. those are all just a matter of hours, really, that you'll spend in the dry Tartugas. How long did the two of you spend when you went? Uh, we we were there, other than the day we arrived, two full days, mm-hmm. uh, just because we weren't able to get updated weather. We, uh, we we stuck it out the couple of days and then headed back while we still had good weather. Mm-hmm. And, well, and so it was two, not long enough. I was just going to say, for the two of you, was that you know sufficient to do everything you would like to do there? No, it wasn't. We, no. we would love to have snorkeled another day or two, and we, we weren't able to do the fort. The fort mm-hmm. was closed. We weren't allowed on shore at all while we were there. So, uh, um, yeah, we were, our plan is to go back. So what was it like yeah, really- at night when you're that far from anything? Um, not a lot of people there, just anybody else who was anchored out. Um, what is that like? I've never had, had, to, had an anchoring experience that, that was that remote before. Yeah, and, and I guess there were, even at that time, there were enough other boaters there, and uh, some of the commercial uh, fishermen come in at night. And, uh, you know, good or bad, you know, they're there with lights on, and, you know, for at least until they go to go to sleep, lights and generators running and all that. Uh, but that, that appeared to be a pretty regular thing, both uh, the three nights that we ended up there, uh each night there was commercial vessels in there too. So it really didn't seem quite as remote as, as it seems, you know? Right. Still seems like it probably would be incredible. I um, I can imagine. And it sounds like it'd still be, you know, kind of a, a dreamy adventure, almost like having your own Island for a little while there out on the dry Tortugas. So Mm -hmm. um, amazing trip. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, Last couple questions. Can you fish while you're there? Well, a lot of the area is a research natural area, which, um, so there's, there's a lot of areas that are not fishable because it's like a nature preserve type thing. Um, if they, if you have an inkling that you might want to fish there, um, their recommendation is to go to the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation website for details and know exactly what you can and cannot do. I do know that it is illegal to use any type of spear gun, Hawaiian sling, and you may not take any lobster of any kind out of there. So um, if 
if you want to fish in the area, you may have to go out of the park, um, but know before you go kind of thing. Um, and there, there are several boats there, and they're, they're patrolling it. They want to really keep this place as pristine as possible, so you don't want to get caught with illegal fish. Mm -hmm, of course. And then the other question for loopers with pets aboard, are, are dogs allowed in the dry tortugas? Apparently they're allowed on the Garden Key, but not anywhere else. Um, so they can't take them over to Loggerhead Key. Um, that's just according to their website. I just kind of looked that up, and that's what it said there. But I, I'm just going to back up. One thing I didn't didn't kind of talk about was um, the history of the island. Mm -hmm. um, very quickly, it, it is the least visited um national park for obvious reasons of where it is and um it originally was called lost tortugas which means the turtles later they started writing on the chart dry tortugas because dry meant there was no water there and so that was a hint to sailors at the time to not expect to get water there and um the fort there is the largest brick structure in the western hemisphere and that's and it was never used as a fort. It was started in 1840, was worked on for 30 years, and it was never finished. However, it was used for a prison at one time. But other than that, pretty interesting statistics about the place. Yeah, really interesting history. And I just I learned several little tidbits there, Karen, that I didn't know. So thank you for sharing that. So, um you know, when you visit, is it more like kind of a desert-type island? When you hear dry tortugas, I think that's what a lot of pe people picture. Or is it kind of a, a lush, tropical kind of island? Um, there, there's plant life uh, mm -hmm. on the island. Um, I don't know if I would call it lush. No. Um, yeah, other than the fort, there's not a lot of key left over. The fort takes up most of the key. Yeah. Uh, that, that key. Um, the uh, garden or loggerhead key uh, has some buildings, and it's got it's got plant life uh, on it, palm trees, and that sort of thing. And a lot of cactuses, so it does have that does have sort of that arid feel, but with palm trees and uh, you know fair amount of other greenery. But yeah, there is a certain arid feel to it, but yeah, tropical. It's kind of a, its own little thing. Yeah. So we talked about the fact that, you know, it is remote. It is not typically the prime season for the dry tortugas when loopers on their first time around tend to be in South Florida. Um, you know, just to kind of sum up, would you, is it something that you would encourage loopers to make time to do? Or is it just kind of a, an optional side trip for when you're hanging out in Florida and are looking for something to do? I would say if, you were planning on spending time down in the Keys is uh, if you could get a nice weather window, go out there. I mean, what a, what a neat thing. Once in a lifetime uh, opportunity for most people um, to get there because it is so remote. Uh, well worth the trip, I think. Well yeah. It, it, I would say just use extreme caution as far as weather windows and, um, and the ferry and the seaplanes might give you a pretty good idea you may want to call them just to find out if it's they they may be able to help you. I don't know if they would or not, but um, yeah, we, if we, they're not running, I'm sure you should run either. <laughs> <laughs>
All right. Well, I think we can hold it there. I think you've um, definitely, Scott and Karen, inspired some people to put this on their list of things to do, um, particularly if the weather window that they would need materializes when they're hanging out down there in Florida for the winter. So Scott and Karen Duvall, Gold Loopers, owners of Capable Cruising, thanks for joining me again. Well, thanks for having us, Kim. It was our pleasure. Thank you. And to our listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. Mm -hmm.